Welcome to episode five of the Noid Knowledge Podcast. I'm Meg LaRue, Group Editorial Director of Cannabis Science and Technology and Cannabis Patient Care Magazines. And I'm Evan Friedman, Vice President of Scientific Cell Company and your other host here at the Noid Knowledge Podcast. This month, we have the pleasure of speaking with Josh Krosny, the former CEO and founder of the Cannabis Science Conference and current director of cannabis events at MJH Life Sciences. We will be discussing his recent merger with MJH, the upcoming Cannabis Science Conference West, plans for the future, and more. But before we get to any of that, we want to highlight Josh's philanthropic endeavors. Josh is also the president and founder of JCANA Inc., a 501c3 nonprofit organization devoted to the advancement of cannabis science, analytical testing, and personalized precision medicine. Josh has been recognized throughout the industry with various awards and cover features for his advocacy efforts and drive to educate this community. He most recently received the 2022 Saving Sophie Vanguard Award for his work with the Saving Sophie Charity. Josh is an active member of the LGBTQ community and a voice for equal rights worldwide. He often speaks out about the diversity inclusion in the cannabis industry, including equality of race, gender, sexual orientation, and economic or social standing. Josh, thank you for joining us today. Let's jump right in and expand our Noid knowledge. Yes, thank you both for having me. It's an honor to join you both today, so thank you. Josh, congratulations on your recent Vanguard Award. Can you tell us about your advocacy efforts, particularly for pediatric patients? Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I will say um, out of, you know, all the recognition and, and things that I've gotten throughout my career, this one really means a lot to me because pediatric advocacy is really my passion point in this industry. Um, you know, once I joined this industry back in like 2015, um, I was not expecting that was going to be such a you know big avenue for me um, in my journey in cannabis, but I actually connected with some parents that were dealing with pediatric cancer, autism, epilepsy, um, and one in particular was Tracy Ryan, whose daughter Sophie was diagnosed with an optic pathway glioma brain tumor at just eight months old. So, you know, when I first got in the industry, I was based on the East Coast, as I still am. And, you know, like I said, 2015, everything happening in California or Oregon or out West might, might as well have been in a different country. So even for me, you know, as open-minded of a person that I am, when I first connected to people like Tracy and other parents, and they're sharing with me, hey, you know, my child is, you know, two years old and is on medical cannabis. Even for me as an open-minded person, there was that moment of pause where I was like, what do you mean? Like, you know, how does that even, even work? But then obviously educating myself more and finding out what options were available as far as routes of administration. Obviously, children are not lighting up uh, a joint or a doobie. Um, they were talking about more tincture, oil-based products, um, edible products. Um, so really, you know, learning about Tracy and her family and all these other great parents and families really just opened my eyes. And I, and I, you know, I said to myself at that moment, I said, if someone is open-minded um, about the world as myself even had a moment of pause, then I know that in my heart, this is something that I need to advocate for because there's a lot more people out there that aren't as open-minded as myself, and I'm sure you both are. So really education and getting that information out there has been uh, paramount to me and in, in my journey. And um, like I said, the pediatric element just really touched, touched my heart. And, you know, I, I know you have uh, children, Meg, so I, I know you can relate to that um, that journey and, you know, what a blessing to you know, not be in the situation that some of these families are in, but I'm sure your heart can relate to them and just imagine, you know, 
what that must be like. Yeah, absolutely. And even like going to your conferences and hearing the pediatric patients and the parents speak, it's, it's so moving. And honestly, that's one of the things that really inspired me to try to launch cannabis patient care because you, you don't hear the patient stories at, a, at any other show really that much. And it's so important for this industry to understand where the patients are coming from and their parents in the, in the case of pediatrics. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that's been really special, because we have been doing this show since 2016, um, and then we launched our East Coast show, so we were doing two a year, um, is, you know, some of these families that we've worked with, you know, the children that are part of those families that are using medical cannabis have really grown up over the past, you know, six plus years. And, you know, we went from, you know, kids that were in strollers to now they're being able to join the stage and, you know, share a little bit of their story. Obviously, Sophie's only nine at this point, which I mean, to me, it's crazy, you know, meeting them so many years ago, and now she's nine years old. It's just like, wow, um, just shows you how fast time flies. But you know, it's it's really great. Like when you look at uh, the Maidlers, like Riley Maidler, who I'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar with, you know, she started off very young, you know, when we first met her and her family. And now she comes to our shows. She's given keynotes at our shows before. She's been featured um, on the you know, 100 most influential people on high times. Um, so she really um, is, you know, such a, a testament to this this plant. And really, like you said, the patients sharing those stories. And obviously, some of these children, it started off as their parents sharing their stories, who still do on the, you know, parenting panels that we host. But now the children are, you know, growing up and becoming, you know, these smart little articulate individuals, um, like almost little adults, and they're able to get up and share their stories as well, which I think is really important. It's amazing and it's wonderful uh, what both of you do. Uh, you know, uh, Josh, you said it yourself. You, you heard about pediatric applications and you were taken aback. I, I think all of us are because we all of us are products of 80 plus years of propaganda from every single angle that anybody could think of. And we need these patient stories, these success stories to break these stigmas, to come out of the shadows and, and to really advance uh, both medicine, society and how we we treat conditions that that have previously been untreatable um so thank you thank you both um josh you've got so much going on right now um it's it's awesome it's wonderful so along with the advocacy work which again wonderful thank you and your new responsibilities with mjh CSC West is sneaking right up on us in the middle of May and coming soon. So we've got the here and now. But before we, we go further and dive into to what's coming up, can you give our listeners a little context so we can understand what you were doing before entering the cannabis industry and, and a little bit more of the why, how, and when you brought the Cannabis Science Conference together? Yeah, absolutely. So um, just before I entered in the cannabis industry, I was actually um, working in staffing and recruiting, and I was specifically working in the analytical science industry. So working with uh, food safety labs, government labs, instrument providers um, to place individuals at, at these brands. And, um, you know, it's interesting because I would go around shows like PitCon, obviously, in the work that I was doing then. And, you know, to be candid, I have been, like I call it, a friend of the plant for many, many years. Um, but, you know, you grow up in adolescence and you're told, you know, oh, this is bad. You shouldn't be doing this. You're rebelling. 
and you really don't realize, you know, and now I look back, I'm like, okay, so like the anxiety that I had, I was using cannabis to help with that. Other things like chronic pain from car accidents I was in, I was using cannabis to help with that. But you have this message like hammered into your head that this is bad and wrong and that you're doing drugs um, when you do cannabis, at least when I was growing up in the you know late 90s, early 2000s. Um, so, you know, really as a career, and like I said before, everything happening out West felt like a different country because, you know, we were on the East coast in 2015, there was really no movement. So I really started to hear a little bit of whispering actually through the analytical science community. There were a couple of the people that we had worked with or knew of that were starting to uh, either work with or sell instrumentation into the cannabis space. Um, Now at the time, like I said, in 2015, there was maybe one or two of them that were really, open about it, that we're actually, you know, talking to their customers about it and, you know, really, um, you know, moving forward. A lot of other people that were doing it were kind of like, oh, you know, you're buying this to test for tomatoes and potatoes, right? You know, uh, not obviously the cannabis, but, you know, I always say when you know um, how customers are using your products and what they're using your products for, you can enable them and support them um, far more than, you know, like that kind of turn, turn the head and look the other way um, to make the sales. So for me, I saw that, and these were, you know, some of the big brands in, in this space. So I was like, if these big brands are like starting to get involved with this, there's something here. And like I said, from my, you know, journey with cannabis, and obviously before that time I had realized okay, this does help me with a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? Like anxiety and things. So I um, said to myself, like, hey, like if this is an opportunity for me to be a part of a community that is centered around this plant that has helped me so much in my life, I would love to have the opportunity to work in this space as a career. Um, But I'm also a firm believer in like taking the time to figure out where you fit. Um, I think in our industry, especially a lot of people want to jump in and they kind of are laser focused on, oh, I'm going to own a dispensary or I'm going to start a cultivation facility. Yeah. Let's grow weed. Let's grow weed. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, I'm not a botanist. So like starting a cultivation facility wasn't really my thing that I knew how to do. Um, You know, I've worked in retail many, many years ago, you know, in, in like high school days, you know, we were working at the mall. But as far as running an operation like a dispensary, that wasn't my Forte. So my approach was to really take the time to immerse myself in the industry and community. So I started traveling around the country a little bit, attending some of the other conferences and trade shows, meeting up with um, you know thought leaders in, in different markets. And um, very quickly, I realized by doing that traveling that most of, if not all of the really larger scale events that were happening were focused solely on the business of cannabis. And, you know, for me, like looking at this industry and knowing that there, even at 2015, there was a lot of acceptance about this. And it really is one of those issues that goes across the aisle, which, you know, not to get too political, but in 2022, we don't have a lot of issues that go across the aisle anymore. So like, I think we should embrace the ones uh, obviously that we do. Um, But I also realized that there was a lot of work that needed to be done. So like I touched on before, I connected with Tracy Ryan. I learned about her story, other families that were using cannabis for their children. And around that same time, I learned that even though cannabis had been legal for medical use in California since 1996, that there were no testing requirements at all, not just standards, but no testing requirements at all. So when you're looking at that and you're looking at people, immunocompromised populations, you know, 
obviously cannabis itself is inherently safe. And I always say no one's ever died as a direct overdose from cannabis, but that doesn't mean that you don't have things to worry about that makes testing so important. So, you know, contamination, heavy metals, mold, pesticides, things like that. And especially when you're talking about making products specifically for children or elderly population that don't want to smoke or inhale or, you know, eat a gummy, you're talking about extraction process. So if there is contamination, mold, heavy metals, solvents present, you're not just extracting the cannabinoids to a higher potency. You could potentially also be extracting any of the um, potential um, contaminants to a higher potency. And if you're talking about people on chemo, radiation, other immunocompromising um, treatments or medications, that's obviously something that we would have concern about. So like I said, being so tuned into that analytical community and learning, okay, well, this testing isn't really even a thing that's required yet. And knowing that, you know, just about everything else that's regulated in the world that comes into contact with humans had that, you know, testing, backstop, you know, safe control. So it was a number of those things. Obviously, like I said, there was an event focusing on the science and the research. You know, you would see the celebrities going to, you know, this one or that one to do the keynotes. And, you know, for me, um, we've had the chance to work with a lot of great celebrity advocates, advocates, but an industry that still has so much stigma and still hasn't crossed that finish line of legality. The, the doctors, the researchers, the clinicians, those are really the celebrities, in my opinion, that we need to lift up and let them share their information and research to advance us forward. You mean Jim Belushi and Willie Nelson uh, aren't going to help us on the science side of things? You know, I think that it is really a combination of bringing different parts of the community together. And, you know, one thing I always say, and, you know, for our shows, we've had the opportunity to work with some amazing celebrity keynotes over the years. Um, we do not just book the you know new celebrity that's in cannabis just because they want to get in cannabis and launch a brand. All the folks that we've worked with um, over the years really have a substantive connection to either cannabis science or cannabis as medicine and have a story to tell. And I always say that, you know, just because someone like, you know, Olivia Newton-John, for instance, who her and her family have become great family friends of mine and friends of the show, um, you know, just because her story is not more important than someone else's story that's going through something similar, but working with people like her and other celebrities really helps project this message because they have followings that are much larger than, you know, followings that we have. And, you know, you look at um, people like Olivia and that, and the generation that she's a part of, that was who was really spoon fed the reefer madness and the miseducation for years and years and years here. So I always say that, you know, by someone like her getting behind this and reaching her fan base that's from the same generation, you know, hearing it from me getting up in front of them and saying, hey, cannabis is great. You know, this is an option people should have. They're like, oh, who is this guy up here telling me what to do? But if it's Olivia Newton-John or someone else that someone is a huge fan and has a lot of respect for, it really makes them take take the time to think about it and say, hey, maybe maybe there is something here. Yeah, Olivia Newton-John also has a research facility, right? Or in, in Australia, isn't she doing like... Not specifically she does. that they are studying. Cancer. Yeah, right. She does have a cancer research facility in Australia. And, you know, her and her family are, are such great advocates for this plan and for cancer and prevention and, and early detection already. Um, but they're just great people. You know what I mean? Like they're the kind of people that you, you know, you spend a few minutes around and you walk away wanting to be a better person. So like, you know, people talk about that, you know, the celebrity kind of aura or vibe and, you know, they are the furthest thing from what you would, you know, assume in your mind a celebrity might be like. 
um, just down to earth, loving, caring, giving people. And um, it was an honor to have the chance to work with them. So I'm sure many listeners are curious about our relationship. Do you want to share with everyone how you started working with Cannabis Science and Technology and why this acquisition with our parent company, MGH, was a natural fit? Yeah, that's actually a great question, Meg. And, um, you know, as I touched on earlier, you know, from my career in analytical science recruiting, I obviously was very familiar with LCGC and spectroscopy magazines. Um, I touched a little bit about PitCon earlier. So actually, um, that was the show where I first came together and met um, Stephanie Schaefer and Mike Tessalone from from your group, Meg, or our group now. <laughs> um, and really, that was, you know, like I said, it was 2015, the first time where I was like, I'm going to do something. And then, you know, promoting and building and starting the show, um, you know, I was the guy in, you know, like I said, 2015, walking around shows like PitCon saying, hey, I'm starting a thing about cannabis and science. And, you know, at that time, you know, like I said, the, the, the science community was kind of opening up, but it was a very kind of trickle down process. So it wasn't just like a flower bloomed all of a sudden. <laughs> you, you get some skeptical looks wandering around PitCon. Uh, with- yeah. Oh yeah. Or like people would be like, Oh, I can't talk to you right now. My boss is here. Like, can you come back? Can we get a coffee later? And I'm like, you know, dude, like it's science. Meet me in the alley. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I actually, um, you know, met with Mike and Stephanie. And again, I was just kind of prospecting and going around. I'm like, they were on my list of people to talk to. And they both really got it. You know what I mean? Right away and really supported me and what I was trying to do. And really, they you guys became our first media partner at that time. So obviously, that was prior to the launch of Cannabis Science and Technology and Cannabis Patient Care. So in the beginning, it was LCGC and Spectroscopy were our, you know, big premier media sponsor. So, you know, for me, like, it's always easy for like someone to walk up to you that has proven success of course you're going to say, yes, I want to work with you. So for me, it meant so much that like I was just getting started and I was just, you know, eager and energized to like get the word out there. And both Mike and Stephanie really believed in what I was saying. And we're like, I don't know how yet or what exactly we'll do, but we're here to support you and we're going to figure out how we're going to work together. And it's been a beautiful relationship year after year after year. Um, Obviously, in working together, you guys have launched the cannabis publications, which has been great. And there's just been so much synergy, you know. And um, one of the things is, you know, with the acquisition, you know, we were never for sale. You know what I mean? Like there was never a for sale sign outside the, you know, Cannabis Science Conference office. It was one of those things that really just did happen organically. Um, And, you know, for us, you know, a lot of people might be surprised to find out because of the size of the shows that we do twice a year. But prior to the acquisition, you know, Cannabis Science Conference was run by two people, myself and Andrea Peraza, who had been my right hand for all these years from the beginning. So it really got to the point to where we wanted to follow the growth and expand and really, you know, put more of a machine behind what we're doing so we can reach an even broader audience with this message. And coming together with MJH was, was a perfect marriage because, you know, the resources, the, the, the teams, you know, so for me, it's, it's been a really interesting and exciting experience, you know, going from, like I said, me and one other person running the show to now when we do like our weekly, you know, kind of catch up calls, like what's happening since the past week, you know, and there's 10, 15 plus people on these calls. So it's really cool to see so many people kind of touching the event now. And, you know, obviously with more marketing support, more sales support, more, you know, teams, more bodies on the ground, you know what I mean? That, um, that really helps and makes, 
the biggest difference. So it's been great. And I think a lot of my new colleagues have a big appreciation for the fact that we did this on our own. And um, it's just been great. And, you know, it's, it's not like coming together with strangers, you know what I mean? It's like, we already were a family. So coming together really made so much sense. Yeah, I know. We're so excited to have you on the same company as us. But I mean, like you said, it, it really is like family. Like we've, We've, I've worked with you the whole time I've been in the cannabis industry. So it's a natural fit. Yeah. And, you know, we've traveled together, you know, outside of our conferences and went and, you know, many places, LA, Pittsburgh, here, there. So, um, like I said, you know, you guys, I consider friends, family and coming together just felt right. Oh, that's awesome. Congratulations to, to you and, and to the whole MJH group. Uh, I, for, for years, for longer than I've been alive, my company has been advertising in Spectroscopy Magazine. So I I very much have uh, a similar relationship and history with with Stephanie and Mike and Meg uh, because they are wonderful, warm, inviting people that I I think the mission is to support each other and disseminate knowledge. And and that's the world a better place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that's really that that's great you know um meg can can you tell us a little bit about your background with mjh starting with lcgc and spectroscopy and how that all progressed in into these two publications and all that sure yeah um i mean it kind of i kind of just fell into the spectroscopy and lcgc world i started as an assistant editor in 2008 i think so it was like semi new out of college it started at the bottom and I just really enjoyed the work so I worked my way up and um, I became the managing editor for both of those publications and so as that in that role I kind of ran the day-to-day of like getting the content in and published for the print magazines so I worked with a lot of the authors and um, I loved it it was a great job so I did that for about eight years and then um, Stephanie and Mike met with Josh and they were like you know we have this idea we want to do this cannabis publication so I just kind of raised my hand and I was like, I'm interested in helping with that. That sounds really cool. And at the time I thought I was just going to be moving over as managing editor. And then they were like, no, we actually, we want you to try running it. So I did and spent five years and it's been a lot of learning for me. Um, just like running the publications in general. It's, it's been great. I loved it. It's, I mean, I still love it. <laughs> Not past tense. Um, <laughs> but even just like the cannabis industry in general, like there's so much to learn and like, when I went into it, I was just interested in cannabis, you know, like in, in college, I, I had fun. I enjoyed that. And I thought it would be like a fun new thing to learn about. And the medical side really like blew me away. Like I didn't realize how it really is medicine for so many people. So, um, that's what led to cannabis patient care. But I would say MJH, um, they've been so, that's the right word. They're, they're a fan of entrepreneurship, I would say. So like when we came to them with the idea, they were like, yes, absolutely. And I would say past parent companies were not like that. Like when we launched Cannabis Science and Technology, Stephanie had to like slide it in as like a supplement to spectroscopy. It was like a, a quiet, like secret thing we were doing. And now like everyone's just on board with with cannabis at this company and we can, we can share our ideas. And um, it's been really great. 
Awesome. Well, and did you hear how Meg shared, like, when she was talking, like I said before, she really, when she got into cannabis, she applied what she was already doing and good at into this space. And I can't emphasize that enough. So many people try to fit in this cannabis box. And like Meg didn't say, hey, I'm going to go grow cannabis. She was like, hey, I'm an editor. I know editing. I know putting together magazines. How can I use my skill set to make this industry a little bit better? That's a good point. And also, like, because we came from that analytical side, like, I already knew a lot of people working in spectroscopy and LCGC, you know, chromatography, who were who were doing these types of tests. And, like, so our strong focus at the start was the analytical side. And, like, since then we've expanded and we're covering more extraction and cultivation but in the beginning, yeah, it was a lot of me going to the people I used to know from those publications being like, hey, do you want to talk about the methods you're developing or some of the challenges you're facing? And um, so it's been great. It's, it's it's awesome. And it's funny. And Josh, I, I love the point that, that you teased out there. Uh, again, you know, stick to your own lane. I think we have a little bit of a vocabulary problem that isn't going to get fixed right away. But we keep talking about cannabis as an industry. And we're selling it short, because cannabis isn't one industry. Cannabis is a whole economy. Every industry that exists can fit parallel under the cannabis umbrella. It is a whole economy. And we talk about analytical testing and we talk about cannabis as medicine uh, for for humans or for pets. But uh, we don't spend that much time talking about all the industrial applications that cannabis is medicine for the planet too, right? The reason we're worried about heavy metals in cannabis is because it is one of the greatest soil remediation tools uh, ever discovered. Uh, so it's going to pull out whatever crap is in the soil. Just don't consume the the cannabis you planted to remediate the soil. Um, we we can build trees out of it. The terpenes are good for the atmosphere and for for uh, drought mitigation techniques. There's, I mean, the list goes on and on, of course. And and I think we all uh, like to pull in experts to talk about these facts, but it's, it's just, it's so much more still than, than we're giving it credit for even how we've progressed here. So, um, I mean, let's keep making this conference and the podcast and the magazines and, and everything else until everybody understands what, what, what we're really trying to do here is, is change the world. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what you just said is so true. And, you know, you got to take it back and think back to prohibition. Like, why did we do this? You know, it was the pharmaceutical industry, the paper industry, this plant and hemp, you know, specifically as well, stood to be useful for so many things. You know, Ford was looking at doing a whole hemp car. So it was one of those things where it was really based on greed and racism and and things like that, that we did prohibition. But, you know, you got to look before prohibition. You know what I mean? So I feel like everyone looks at it that's against this plan and starts the clock at prohibition. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's go back to the 2000 plus years of knowledge and records of this plant being used for not just medicine, like you said, but also for commodity and industrial use. So I think that's really important that you brought that up. Yeah, I, I mean, we. Uh, somebody said it, and I, I, I'm going to steal it. I love it. We have, uh, as humans, used and had a relationship with this plant uh, for uh, 
exponentially longer period of time than than we've had prohibition and to to think that the facts uh, of the last 80 years or so are all that we know about this is is naive at best and harmful at worst so um let's let's keep going though let's uh, so josh you i i i touched on it before uh your your first 2022 event is coming up in the middle of May, Cannabis Science West. Uh, it's in Long Beach this year. Yes, sir. Long Beach Convention Center. Yep. Awesome. So so you're always uh, innovating, adding new tracks, and and evolving the conference. What what's new to the show this year, and what are you most excited to to present? Yeah, so we're really excited. We have so much great stuff happening for the the show coming up in Long Beach. And, um, you know, we we were able to get one show out in 2021. But the way the timing worked, we were just able to get our, you know, one Baltimore show out. So actually for that show, which was the plan for 2020, was we were launching our hemp CBD specific track. So as you both probably know a little bit, um, you know, ever since the farm bill really went through, a lot of the hemp and CBD industry is kind of segmented off into its own industry. So a lot of times if you're specifically in that field, you only want to go to things that are specifically targeted to hemp and CBD. So we launched that track, which I think has gotten great response because like, you know, I think, you know, my stance is we've incorporated hemp and CBD into all the content over the years um, because to me, there's not that much of a difference. But obviously, in legality, when you're talking about, okay, this side really has the opportunity to do more and get their products out more on a legality basis, you know, I, I can understand maybe the separation and, you know, just want to say, hey, we have the green light, so we're going to kind of move forward. And, you know, we'll see you guys once you, once you get over the finish line. So people have really enjoyed that. And then I'm really excited because for the first time ever for this show in Long Beach, we're launching our psychedelic science track. So, you know, it's been really interesting, especially like over the past few years that we've been in COVID. It's almost like we we're emerging out of COVID. And it's like, wait a minute, there's all this like exciting new psychedelic stuff that's happening. And, you know, I feel that because the psychedelics industry is taking a very clinical research based approach, um, that the movement is almost faster than we saw in cannabis in the early years. Because obviously, you know, with cannabis, it was, you know, mostly based off of advocacy for medical patients that started in the 90s in California and then kind of trickled down. But with psychedelics, like I said, they're taking a very clinical approach right out the gate. Um, and a lot of listeners might not have realized, but like, you know, really just about all over the country, there are assisted psychotherapy clinics like ketamine clinics where you can actually go and do assisted psychotherapy with ketamine and other other psychedelic medicines that um, are legal in those places. And really, I mean, just, you know, the preliminary research that we're seeing on this, you know, helping with depression, anxiety, PTSD, um, we're seeing that psychedelics are also a tool for the toolbox, just like cannabis. Um, so we have a lot of great researchers that are going to be sharing uh, their research, like Dr. Denise Vidot from the University of Miami, who has been doing a lot of great research on cannabis as well as um, psychedelics uh, for potential COVID-19. Um, we also have Dr. Allison Drazen from the Ames Institute, who uh, will be sharing her work with actually working with the Ames Institute and doing assisted psychotherapy uh, with cannabis and um, ketamine and other things. And then really, you know, we also have 
great keynote um, from Mino and Bernadette Torres, who are actually sacred uh, tobacco shaman healers. And, you know, for us, it's obviously we're the Cannabis Science Conference, so we have to feature the science, the research. But for me, I think that, you know, psychedelic medicine really, you know, belongs to the indigenous people. And, you know, they have been the gatekeepers of this medicine and knowledge for, you know, millennia. So, you know, our thought process is to really bring these two together so that, you know, they have a seat at the table. You know what I mean? I feel like with cannabis, we lost our way a little bit as far as giving back to the communities that this had negatively affected unfairly. You know, as as you both know, we still have people sitting in prison for a plant where there are people in certain places making millions and billions of dollars off of it. So really trying to avoid some of that. And, you know, like I said, it is the early days of psychedelics. So we're really excited to bring, you know, both the indigenous and the scientific community together to hopefully, you know, bridge that gap. And then, like I said, you know, everyone has a seat at the table. Yeah. I, you know, uh, that's, that's really, really interesting. This, the psychedelic track, uh, I, I guess it gets lumped in with cannabis, uh, because of similar themes, prohibition, um, open-minded hippies in, in the sixties and seventies being the target next. Um, but, uh, I, it's the, the, the psychological conditions that it helps with sort of makes sense, right? Where you, you look at it and you're like, well, it, it affects the brain. So these brain conditions maybe have a response. Uh, okay. It's not such a leap, but you know, I was at uh, ACS spring in San Diego and uh, they had their first psychedelic track uh, j- just a couple weeks ago. And I saw one presentation, uh, a researcher showed that well below psychedelic doses of psilocybin from, from magic mushrooms has uh, durable, uh, really effective anti-inflammatory effects. And uh, so they've shown that they can treat uh, sub... Uh, with subthreshold doses, asthma in in mouse models, and um, it's just once again, if we open the the door to research on on these substances, on these these natural compounds that we've been uh, eschewing for all these years, we're going to learn things that we didn't know we didn't know, and and it's really it it I I think. You know, wonderful that you can embrace it, especially since it's it's not going to take the same track as cannabis, right? Uh, psychedelics are for uh, mostly single compounds, and so they fit into the pharma model much better than than this botanical medicine thing that we do with cannabis. So, um, uh, but they they need, it needs a home, and cannabis uh, in in many tracks has has welcomed it in and i think it's it's to everybody's benefit so really uh th- thank you for your efforts on, on that as well i'm excited too <laughs> i i'd like to hear a little bit more about um some of the other tracks you have coming up in may too like analytical cultivation um you want to share any of the speakers that will be presenting there yeah so um for our analytical science track we're really excited we have um 
the fame, now famed uh, Professor Richard Van Bremen uh, will be giving a keynote from Oregon State University, who as many of the listeners I'm sure are familiar with, um, he recently came out with this groundbreaking research that showed that certain cannabinoids um, can help with prevention of transmitting COVID-19. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen, but there actually was a press release that just came out a couple of weeks ago that it looks like he's going to be starting a company now based on that research, which I think is really cool that, because you know, how many times do we do research and then it's like, oh, great, that would be great if we put it into practice. So to see him taking the research that he worked so hard on with his team to now taking it to the next level, I think is amazing. Um, we also have longtime friend of the show, Dr. Reggie Galdino from Front Range Bioscience, who really is a legend in cannabis science education. So we're really excited for him to give a keynote address. And, you know, our analytical track is, is always really exciting. And, you know, I always kind of jokingly say uh, when we're putting the schedule together for that track, if I can understand the abstract, then it's not, it's not, it's not okay for that track. <laughs> so I am not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm very clear about that. But I always kind of jokingly say, if I can understand the, the presentation, then it's probably not, not good for that uh, track. But, uh, but yeah, you know, we'll have great presentations about obviously testing, some of the biggest challenges um, in testing and certain particular testings. Also, we'll have a, you know, handful of talks about extractions and processing um, in there. And then also some regulatory uh, and regulatory compliance talks as well. So Kim Stuck is actually going to be giving an update um, on regulations. And then we also have um, someone from Americans for Safe Access. Heather is going to be talking about kind of state-by-state -state regulations, because one of the things that's challenging about cannabis is that it is state by state by state. So it's not like one blanket law. It's kind of like we're in these small little countries as far as the cannabis laws go. So really trying to replicate anything is impossible. So you see the MSOs and I got to tip my hat to the MSOs because it's not like any other industry where you have multiple um, state operations. It's like everything is different from each one to the next, which obviously is challenging because you can't stamp print a model. But, um, but yeah, our analytical track, we're really excited about that one. And then we also um, will have Montel Williams. So we're really excited. We're, we're just going to be announcing that uh, this week. So kind of you guys are getting the, the uh, hot off the press um, pre pre on that. But, um, but Montel, you know, he's spoken for us a couple of times before, never in California, obviously this is our first time in Southern California, but I always tip my hat to Montel because he really is, um, in my opinion, was one of the first, um, you know, mainstream celebrities to put their brand and their influence behind this plant in the early 90s when it wasn't popular or good for them as a brand standpoint. Um, and he really, you know, risked a lot to be an advocate for this plant. And, you know, this plant helps him with his multiple sclerosis. And, you know, I always say Montel, when he comes to a show, he'll get up on stage and, you know, not even just on stage, he'll kind of walk through the crowd and go from here to, for an hour. And then afterwards, he'll stand there for another hour and take pictures with every single person that wants to take a picture with him. And, you know, I know I've known, you know, from my childhood and just growing up, you know, individuals in my family and friends of family that have suffered with MS. And, you know, a lot of them are wheelchair bound and they're not able to do anything. So to see a man just so active and so, you know, on his game, I think is a great testament to this plant. So we always love having Montel join us at the shows. Um, and then in our medical cannabis track, 
We'll have a keynote address from Dr. Lakeisha Jenkins, who is amazing, 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 world-known and renowned uh, medical cannabis expert uh, based in Jamaica. So she's, you know, kind of all over the place, but that's home for her. But she's going to be talking about the endocannabinoid system. I think that is so important. You know, our medical cannabis track is very... Um, much so catered towards medical professionals, but also patients and consumers. Because I always say that, you know, if you're a medical professional that hasn't been to the Cannabis Science Conference or connected with some of these medical professionals that that get it, you're starting, your learning curve is basically the same as a patient who's walking into a dispensary the first time. Because as you both know, doctors and even nurses are not learning about cannabis and the endocannabinoid system in their traditional education. So now they're on the back end having to go and, you know, come to shows like ours, connect with people like Dr. Lakeisha and Dr. Bonnie Goldstein and other friends of the show to learn about this. And I will say a lot of them are angry. They're like, what do you mean there's a whole function of the body that you didn't teach us. You know what I mean? Like imagine if they're like in medical school, like, Oh, the digestive system, that's not that important. We're not, we're not going to cover that. You can learn that later. It's like, you know, so we're really trying to provide education for the providers or people that want to learn more and become providers um, and educators. So that really track is um, I always say like the one part of the conference that really is a little bit B2C. So really we love when patients and, and consumers come and get that information. And then we have our cultivation science track, which is, you know, basically what it sounds like, the science behind cultivation. Um, and we have some really great keynotes lined up in there. Autumn Carsey, who's a great friend of mine and the show, um, she actually runs a design and build firm called Cultivo. And she actually designs and builds out cultivation facilities all over the world. And she recently just launched her own brand um, in Lake County, California, where um, she's going to be starting her own brand and her own farm. So she's really excited about that. We also have Ed Rosenthal is going to be joining us. Awesome. For, you know, again, legendary uh, industry folks. Um, and Jeff Lowenthal, who again is another yeah. uh, te legendary. Te uh, teaming yeah. with uh, botanists, huh? Yeah. Well, and then, you know, it goes back to what I said in the beginning of this conversation. We're like, the people, the scientists, the researchers, the people like Ed and Jeff who have been, you know, hands in the dirt, hands on the ground, literally, those are like the celebrities. You know what I mean? Like those are the people we need, like these people know what they're talking about. So like sit back and listen, you know, um, for our hemp track, we have um, attorney Cheryl Murray Powell that's going to give a great presentation on hemp. And then um, I think I talked a little bit about the psychedelic as well. And then, you know, we also pair all that with a robust exhibit floor with over 100 vendors ranging from all of those fields I mentioned. And also, you know, the ancillary providers in, in between, like media companies, um, you know, we've got an insurance company, you know, so anyone that's obviously working in those industries or servicing those industries is welcome as well. But um, but yeah, the, the, the exhibit floor leads for great networking. So exciting. Um, so as I mentioned in the, earlier, when I was reading your, your bio, you've always been such a big proponent of lifting up others. Can you tell us why that's so important to you? And how do you make sure that your conference is inclusive to everyone? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting, because for me, it's just kind of second nature, or first nature, you know what I mean? Like, it just makes sense. And I maybe it's, it's because I am part of a marginalized community being, you know, a member of the LGBTQ community. But, you know, for me, it's just, you know, especially the nature of the industry that we're part of and the community that we're part of. Um, when you look at the war on drugs and how that, you know, unfairly and negatively impacted 
especially communities of color and disseminated homes and took families apart from each other just for this plant. You know, I think that those voices are most important. You know what I mean? So, and, but like for us, obviously it is the cannabis science conference. So we, we can't just say, Oh, we want you to speak because you check a box. It's like, we have some of the best and brightest minds that are, you know, diversity representation as far as, you know, LGBTQ, women, people of color. And it's not like we're throwing a bone to someone that doesn't deserve it. So these are the leading voices and minds. So for us, it's an honor to lift them up. And it almost shocks me to see that other events don't do the same because I'm like, these people are out there, you know, these voices are important and we should do our part in lifting them up. So that's one thing that I've you know, it's been an honor to me to work with so many amazing individuals and colleagues and friends in this industry. And, you know, same goes for me. Like a lot of the friends that I have lifted up over the past have lifted me up in their own way. So really, I think that, you know, obviously, you know, whether you're a woman in cannabis, you know, part of the gay community in cannabis, or, you know, you're a person of color in cannabis, obviously we all have different walks and journeys that we go through in life and in this industry. But I think that in this industry, especially, we all find a common ground and a way to kind of relate to each other and help lift each other up and lift each other's voices up. So that's been really special to me. And, you know, I just would like to see more of that um, in the industry. Yeah, we we definitely need more of it. And I think uh, not not to make excuses for any of these other conferences, but I I think one of the big problems is the lack of diversity in in this industry in general. Uh, I I was speaking to uh, a friend from your neck of the woods recently, and he told me that only three percent of people in the industry are of color. Like that, I mean, eighteen percent of the population is black, and that's just that's just African Americans. Like there are other people of color to include too. Uh, so we, I, I of course putting these people on the stage and and representation and, and visibility is is of course helpful and matters. There has to be more effort to actually bring these people in. So I'm very uh, hopeful here in New York, uh, where I'm located, that the the legislation that is slowly being enacted is very, very focused on social equity and sure. providing 50% of the licenses to, to social equity candidates and the first batch of licenses going out to specifically social equity applicants. Um, there's this is a good well, effort we'll but is that, it enough it, like we'll let's see how that turns out too yeah, because you know there's this there's this thing that i call and i'm sure it's probably maybe called something else but i call it diversity stacking <laughs> on your application so like you mentioned like and you know i'm not saying new york because obviously that hasn't happened yeah, right yet, we don't know yet and to go into but i've seen in other markets where they say hey you know this percentage of licenses will go to those social equity individuals and then you have these, you know, other guys that are people that come together and build this group and they say, hey, they reach out to people that check that box, say, hey, we want you to be the CEO or the president on this application. But then there's really no hold the feet to the fire after they get in mm -hmm. to keep that same team. So I've seen so many times where people diversity stack an application, they're awarded the application and the very people who enabled them to get that license are then exited from the company. So I wish there was a way for us to say, hey, and obviously I know when you're applying for a license, 
to like getting licensed because it can take two, three, four plus years in some of these places. Things change, people's availability changes. So I know that there's got to be some flexibility. But when the when the when the whole idea is that because of these people, you got this license, you should be tied to keep those people as part of that group. A- absolutely. You can't you, you can't create a system where the uh, ticket to generational wealth gets sold before the wealth is created. It's 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 not helping anybody, or or it's not helping the people that it's intended to help. That's for sure. Yeah, and you know it's unfortunate because a lot of times you know someone comes to you and they present like, hey, we want to make you the CEO of this thing, and it sounds so great, and you're like, I would love that, but it's like you know ha- taking the time to really review whatever they're getting you to sign, getting a lawyer to look over it because. Um, you know, I've seen and I've seen it happen to like even well-known, you know, quote unquote famous people in this industry. So I think that like we just have to do better, you know, and then when I and like touching on what you said before, um, you know, to make sure you're like representing diversity and representing the industry that we're a part of, you know, making sure that the, your 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 stages represent the industry that we're in. Um, you sometimes you have to do more than just the general call for abstracts. You know, you have to do the footwork. You have to reach out to people. You have to invite people to be a part of the show. So when people are like, oh, well, you know, only this many people from this category, or this category submitted. So that's why the number is down. It's like, I don't really buy that as an excuse because we have been doing the laid work. And like I said, we're not just saying, hey, oh, you check this box. We want you to be here. It's like we're working with some of the brightest minds in medicine, science that just happen to be women, just happen to be people of color and just happen to be LGBTQ. You know, for me, I actually went through a phase and it usually sparks up around June for pride season where all these media companies will reach out and say, hey, we want to feature you for being gay. And you're the industry. token gay guy. Right. And then it gets to a point where you're like, what does one have to do with the other? You know, what does the fact that I'm a cannabis entrepreneur have to do with, you know, who I happen to love and, you know, partner with? It really doesn't. And, you know, the only reason I did some of those features was, you know, one, it's like when Forbes is calling, (laughs) you're going to pick up the phone. (laughs) But, um, you know, it also like talking with my, you know, former PR company, it's like, Yes, there can you can turn into tokenism at a certain point, but there also is a fine line between that and also being an example for others that walk a similar path that might not know that this is something that people like them are part of. Yeah, or that they can do, right? You, right. you have to be visible for people to know it's an option, right? Yep. So I, – and – I, we we live in a complicated world where you have to analyze all the decisions you make to to see is this really accomplishing the the ends that I'm after. So, yep. um, you know, uh, g- kudos for navigating it as well as you have so far. Uh, Thank I, you. I, obviously, we can look at Will Smith and know that a- at any moment, uh, any of us can mess up that navigation. But but you're crushing it right now, so keep it up yeah and you know we're in a we're in a day and age where like things matter more than they ever have you know optics matter intention matters and you know like you use will smith as a reference like he made a mistake and now he for 10 years can't be a part of a award show that he had you know what i mean like he i'm sure he's gonna make movies where he's probably yeah would have been nominated you know what i mean so it's like you've got to really think about 
you're doing the right thing. And obviously we all make mistakes and none of us are perfect, but we live in a culture and society now where like being a good person and putting your best foot forward and being respectful of others matters more than ever. For for sure. Uh, and I think you do a great job of it. You say you said you you like your conference to feel like a family event. And I think that's really uh, the best. Right. Because, um, you know, you, you can argue with family, you can disagree with family. But at the end of the day, you come together, you treat each other properly and, and you grow together. Um, Absolutely. So I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a really big fan of that atmosphere too. breaking down the more formal barriers and getting into like the meat of the conversation. Um, uh, so if it, there's, there's such a wealth of personalities and, and, uh, skill sets and specialties that people bring to this space from, from prior lives outside of cannabis. Uh, and I feel like your event is such a fertile ground for the exchange of knowledge. Um, after all these years, um, you must have a laundry list of success stories that have started uh, at CSC. Can you think of any of these stories that you might want to share with, with our listeners? Yeah, sure. And like, I'm glad that you brought that up because, you know, it is like an extension of my family. And I think that is one of the things that's enabled my success in this industry was that I've, you know, led with authenticity and really embraced it as my own. And, you know, when I started this, I was kind of like, because, you know, anyone that knows me knows I have like a little flair to my style. I like to wear my fancy shoes and do my thing. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm an open, active member of the LGBTQ community. So when I was getting into this space, I was like, do I like tone myself down to like fit into like, again, a box of whatever I thought a cannabis entrepreneur should be or shouldn't be? Or do I just, you know, wear the shoes, wear the clothes, you know, do what I want to do and lead with authenticity and be who I am 24-7? And that's what I chose. And that really has afforded me the opportunity to make friendships and family versus just colleagues and business. So, you know, for, for me, like, you know, you go to a lot of shows and, you, you know, you're around, there's a big show. And, you know, not that it's a bad thing, but you don't really know who's running the show. Like, whose show is this? Like, who's the organizer? Who's the owner? And, you know, for us, it's, it's the complete opposite. So, you know, anyone that comes to our shows, like, they're going to know exactly who I am. You know, they're going to know before they get there. They're going to know while, when they're there. And they're going to know after we're there. So that's been really important to me. And, you know, one of the things that I missed um, during, you know, the time where we were away from events during COVID was really those collaborations and networking. And, you know, we chose not to go the full, like, conference, trade show, virtual, online, you know, you're walking around like an avatar to a booth because I just felt that like, although a lot of the virtual stuff was great for sharing content and knowledge and information, that kind of hand-to-hand networking and building relationships is really difficult to do behind a computer screen when you're not, you don't know who's there. You know what I mean? So like, for instance, when you're at a trade show, or a conference, you're going to spend at least a half a day, one of the days walking the show floor and seeing friends and colleagues stopping at the booths that are relevant to you. So there's been a lot, a lot of, a lot of those stories, but one of my favorite stories would have to be um, Dr. Deddy Meary, who's a great friend of the show. He's been speaking with us since, you know, we launched the show. Um, He actually spoke for us, I believe uh, in 2017 and he came to the show 
um, an individual named Ben U.S. I think I'm pronouncing his name properly, um, actually came to the show. He's also from Maryland. So it was like a small world. We met in Portland. He's like, oh, I'm from Maryland, too. Um, he was just getting involved in the industry. And he actually met Dr. Deddy and got the opportunity to take an invitation from Dr. Deddy to travel and move to Tel Aviv, Israel, study under Dr. Deddy in the Technion, and then advance his career in other ways. So it was really great. And he actually got to join us at our, I believe it was our 2019 West Coast show. And he actually, Ben, got the chance to get up on stage and share a little bit about that journey of coming to CSC, meeting Dr. Deddy, and then moving to Tel Aviv to study underneath of him. So like for those of you that don't know who Dr. Deddy is, that's a huge deal. You know what I mean? Oh, like Dr. The Deddy, again, is one of the, the A-list celebrities, in my opinion, you know, um, and, you know, Tel Aviv and Israel, they've been running this research and doing what we haven't been able to do for all these years. So that probably would be my favorite story, but there's so many, we probably don't have enough time to get into all of them. <laughs> no, that's, that, that's great. And uh, Ben, I believe his last name is pronounced Oihas. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, but Sorry, I'm probably man. getting it wrong too. Uh, he he he's a really interesting and, and nice guy, and I think he very much appreciated the opportunity to meet and then go study with with Dr. Mayiri at, at the Technion. Um, I I got the opportunity to meet him um, just as he had come back from that course of study, and he presented like a meta review of all the research that was going on in Israel, and it was really eye-opening there there were you know a dozen conditions that i had never even uh, heard a thing about treating with cannabis that he was like this and this and this and these receptors right. that we don't call cannabinoid receptors but are actually cannabinoid is just like oh wow they, there's there's so much <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, there's been there's been like so many speakers, too, that have, you know, come to me and said, you know, you really lifted me up and gave me my first platform and like my first like like Tracy Ryan, for instance, from Canna Kids. Everybody knows Tracy Ryan. You know, she always tells this story that almost like makes me cry every time she tells it. It's like I gave her her first keynote and gave her a stage that provided her a much larger stage to expand to even more audience and more ears. So like I don't take credit for anybody's journey. You know what I mean? But when someone kind of throws you a little kudos and thanks, it definitely touches my heart and means everything to me because it goes back to what you were saying, Meg. We have to lift up voices. And it's not just about, oh, I'm not going to book this person because no one's ever heard of them. Guess what? They might be the next Sanjay Gupta if you just give them a chance, you know? And I have to say, Josh, you are really great at connecting people. Like even Ben, you you took it a step further and you connected him to me. And now he's talking with me about potentially writing stuff for us for cannabis patient care. So, I mean, and I've seen that time and again, you, you just are like, hey, you shouldn't meet this person and they know this and you're just really very giving and, and awesome. Well, and I'll like that. meet someone and then like, It'll like, like somebody will be telling me what they have going on or what they want to do. And like a light will switch. I'm like, oh, you got to connect with this person. And then I'll do the email intro. And, you know, that's people do that for me, too. So like my thing is like we should all be doing that for each other. And, you know, one of the things being in a federally illegal industry. So I say the more we can speak with a collected voice and try to get along and show the federal government that we kind of know what we're doing and that some of the stuff we're doing in some of these markets makes sense. Um, the more we can self-regulate that way before federal regulation happens, the better off we'll be because, you know, we talk about legalization a lot, 
but we don't talk about federal regulation. <laughs> so it's like, yes, obviously we need the legalization to open the prisons and get everybody out and, you know, just change a lot of the negative impact of the war on drugs with that one swoosh of a pen. But as you both are familiar with federal regulation of anything, you know, so in like a lot of these brands will have to change, you know? So like I said, the more we can like get along, scratch each other's back here and there and speak with a collected voice, the more we will present to the federal government that, you know, we do know what we're doing and that they should listen to at least some of the leaders of this community when they are crafting those regulations. Without a doubt. Uh, I mean, the, the thing that the, the smart people in cannabis seem to know and the ones that struggle uh, haven't realized yet is in, in this industry, in this economy, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, there are a lot of really good examples from from traditional industry. And you can take a look and see there's there's a bunch of industries that said, well, things are kind of getting out of control. If we regulate ourselves, then we can avoid being federally regulated and, and lose all control over our business. Uh, and you see things like gross standards. Gross standards are sort of something that that the food industry just agreed on. Uh, it's it's not enforced by the USDA or the FDA. It's just a standard that they have. And there's there's tons of examples like that. And cannabis can do that for for a number of aspects. And I think in some ways people are trying. You've got organizations organizations like AOAC that set performance requirements and stamp official methods that meet those requirements. And you've got um, jurisdictions like Michigan where they're analytical testing requirements demand an AOAC method. So like there's an infrastructure being built by organizations that have done this for other industries. And we just, yeah, we have to get together, make some agreements and try and try and lift each other up because we're, we're still really early on in this game. You know, if you want to use a baseball analogy, maybe we're in the bottom of the first inning. Uh, I don't think we're any further than that. Uh, and there, there's a lot that's going to go on. There's there's going to be 20 to 30 years of development once federal legalization happens. So uh, if if the people that are active and involved now can all sort of come to terms with each other and grow together, I think we, we have a bright future. Yep, I agree. So let's address the potential elephant in the room. 2020 slash 2021 and the pandemic. Um, obviously, that was tough on anyone who hosted live events. How did you pivot? Well, you know, it was like I touched on before. We really, we did consider, we almost pulled the trigger on doing a full-fledged conference, trade show, two days, three days, whatever, you know, you want to call it. Um, and then I'm glad, I'm actually glad we didn't. Because I, after talking with a lot of our vendors and a lot of attendees that attended some of these virtual trade shows, although they, like I said, they got great, they got great content access, but like, you know, there's no secret that when you do events like, like we do, it's, it really is a conference and a trade show. So if you say, and it was a situation where we had actually had a lot of people had, you know, already paid for, like when we pulled the trigger on Baltimore to not do it. Obviously, it, it was it was scheduled for April, I think sixth through eighth. Oh man, I think it was right March. right at the line, huh? 
so we were pretty much ready to go for that event. So like we had had, you know, a lot of vendors were already signed up, you know, with their payments already in and everything. So what a lot of shows did was they just automatically moved vendor funds to a virtual event. Um, you know, and then talking with a lot of the vendors who that happened to, they, like I said, the content sharing was great, but as far as value of a vendor, like people weren't spending the time working the exhibit floor, like we all would do for at least a half a day when we would be at a traditional trade show. Um, and then again, like I was saying before, like, you know, I'm a very like, take this person's hand, put it in that person's hand. You guys need to know each other. Like you got this going on, they got that going on. And that's virtually impossible behind a computer screen when you have a million other pieces going on. Um, and it also was very costly. So like, you know, a lot of the platforms we were looking at were almost more expensive than doing a full-fledged like convention center um, event. So, you know, during the pandemic, we really just tried to pivot and get a little bit of like virtual content out here and there. Um, obviously, it, it, it ended up being longer than we thought it was going to be, which I'm sure everyone you know, it feels the same way about that because we kept rescheduling. So I think originally when we had to cancel April or re reschedule April, I think we pushed it to like June of 2020. <laughs> so like, oh, yeah, you know, by June, it'll obviously be fine. And then, you know, it was like a push again. So then it ended up being really interesting because, you know, like I said, the Baltimore show was the next one that we had up um, on the docket before um, COVID, you know, really happened. And so, like I mentioned earlier, we were only able time-wise and, you know, safety-wise to get one out event, one event out in 2021, which, like I said, was our East Coast show. But it really kind of made things interesting because traditionally, like I said, our East Coast show would have been in April, spring time, and our West Coast show would have been in like late summer, early fall. So because of the fact that we had to do Baltimore in September, it kind of like flip-flopped the uh, kind of placement and scheduling of our shows. Um, but it still worked out great because, you know, September on the East Coast is is manageable. You know, spring in the West Coast is always manageable. So it worked out really well. And then I did fall into the clubhouse hole for a little while, uh, for those of you out there who were also there. Um, and that really was just like something that kind of, I think, was like perfect timing. I don't think, obviously, they planned a global pandemic obviously but i think the fact that they launched that app right when all this was happening and people were kind of stuck inside and you know for people like myself that you know i, I consider myself an educator of you know sharer of information bringing people together putting together sessions putting together panels it really was like a perfect kind of combination of like you can do all that and be in your pajamas and on your phone audio wise and not on video. So I enjoyed that for a while. We haven't really been doing much on there, but we have been thinking about ways to maybe incorporate clubhouse into some of the stuff that we're doing with the live events now, because there is still a, I think, movement of people on there. I'm not sure because I haven't really been on there often lately. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, um, under uh, under normal conditions every year uh i personally i do a, a lot of trade shows as an attendee as an exhibitor uh i'm i'm on some organizing committees of a couple shows uh so so the covid pivot was was a major theme for for me and my team over the last sure. couple of years as well um and uh well not putting on a show myself with just the help of one other person uh i can't even imagine that amongst COVID. I, I uh, am impressed that you got the show off in, in the fall uh, because it, every time it seemed like things were leveling out, 
you and you could start making some plans you'd get three weeks into plans and and it would all implode again so i right. you know the the intestinal fortitude you have is is admirable i think yeah, well thank you and there were there were definitely some dark moments I, uh inside of myself no question up <laughs> and then we had that kind of window for september which was a blessing that we got through it but then again not long after september we started to see the other issues uh with the uh, omicron so we actually were gonna have the long beach show in february um which you know i know some people did shows in february and you know they turned out okay but you know our stance really always has been and always will be we want to put out the safest show possible but also the most productive show possible so we want to have a show that's safe for everyone but also we want everyone to be there and we want people to feel comfortable to be there so that was a big factor for us pushing uh to may yeah for i i i think it was the right choice uh you know while uh maybe putting on a safe event in February was possible. Uh, I'm not sure how attendance would have been. I did uh, an event in early September, like like maybe even the first day was still August. And mm-hmm. um, it was two and a half days of exhibitor networking. <laughs> right. It's, it's like just – straight no attendees at all the only people there were either exhibitors or speakers and yeah i want to do trade shows but not not to an empty room right that's not right and that like i said we had that window in september you know we ended up having over a thousand attendees um in september 2021 so we were thrilled with that obviously that was down a little bit from the 2019 East Coast show, which we had about 2000, which was our first East Coast edition. So we were like, so bombed to have such a great, successful first East Coast edition. And then we were gearing up for the next one. We're like, oh, it's going to be even better and bigger. And then this all happened. But, you know, I, I am a firm believer that like, obviously, you know, the universe has its way of telling us what we need. And I think in a lot of ways, as terrible as you know, the whole shutdowns and COVID has been in a way, I think for myself, at least it kind of helped me like ground myself with myself a little bit more and like made sure I was like, okay, take the time to like check in on you. How are you doing? Cause you know, we're always so busy, you know, and then when we have these wins, it's like, you don't even celebrate the win because you're on to the next goal. So for me, I really had the time to reflect and connect and, you know, have more conversations with family and friends. And, you know, we would all do the same thing. I'm sure the the Zoom happy hours and like for, you know, what it's worth, like there was some value in what happened. Like obviously the the pandemic, the the COVID-19 is terrible, like what it did as a, as a, as a disease, but for the social aspect of like just taking a break, you know what I mean? Like even like I say, I said like, I'll never complain about traveling for work again. Like after that, cause I, I missed it so much, but it came at a time where I was traveling all the time. So and for yeah. a little while I was like, it's kind of nice to like be home with my dogs, with my family, um, have free time. You know what I mean? So um, in a way I think, you know, as terrible as it was, I always try to see like the silver lining on the gray cloud coming through, if that makes sense. For for sure. I mean, uh, I, I try to uh, remember that uh, in Japanese, they have the same word for opportunity and disaster. So it's, you know, yeah, 
there there's always something to learn right you you never you never learn from success you learn from failure right and has the last two years been the biggest failure any of us have experienced probably (laughs) so hopefully we've learned something and it turns out there was something called pandemic insurance which we didn't have that now you can't get because there's been a pandemic (laughs) so oh man and it's one of those things where you're not like you know before this happened we're not like you know we haven't lived through a pandemic like this before in our lives nobody's lived so through it like, like, oh, yes, yeah. we need the pandemic plan you know what i mean <laughs> so future reference you know people might want to look into those plans once they start if, if they ever start opening them up because it was a situation where once a pandemic happened you can't then get yeah pandemic- post facto insurance that sounds good right exactly <laughs> Yeah. So just a quick point is like, I I mentioned it before I went to, uh, I I had the pleasure to attend ACS spring in San Diego a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you know, it, it was really such a breath air, a breath of fresh air, being there in person, doing some networking face to face, having organic conversations that weren't forced, that weren't strained by looking for, uh, visual cues that, you can't get properly through, through a video call or any of that. Um, I, and, and I really, I missed that so much during the shutdown. And you said you miss traveling for business. I, me too. I, it's, it's strange to think, uh, I, I'm looking fondly back on, on traveling a hundred thousand miles a year on an airplane right. or, or spending 75 nights a year in a hotel. Like that's, that shouldn't be, you know, something, that, that you like, but I guess, you know, I, I have uh Stockholm syndrome from, from over a decade <laughs> of doing it. Uh, but, but it was, it, it was very refreshing. Uh, and, and the only place that I felt that I really got anything resembling the networking that occurs at these shows was on clubhouse. So, mm. uh, and, and I think there is a community still there. I think there are, uh, quite a few people in the cannabis industry that either they can't travel or they are physically located in hard to reach areas. I mean, like the Emerald Triangle is not the easiest travel destination or, or origin point. Um, and I think Clubhouse, uh, you know, because there's no video, you're not searching for the visual cues and, uh, you, yeah, you, you can do it in your underwear. You can do it from the bathtub, whatever. (laughs) I think uh, there's, there's definitely a nugget of, of value in there that, that continues. And I think, you know, a lot of these tools that we came up with to help us through the pandemic have a place in life, uh, beyond it. Um, uh, so I, 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 I think it's great that, um, you know, you you were reaching out trying to find other ways to engage with your audience while yep. while we were trapped inside. Yeah, and you know one of the things I will say about Clubhouse is like it, because it was all audio based and you don't have those visual cues to go off of, I feel that it's definitely, you know, made me an even better panelist and listen more than speak because it is kind of like a push a, a speak yield speak yield um or unless you you know especially you know we would have you know 10 15 people if not more on stage sometimes so obviously you have to be 
conscious and respectful that you're not hogging the microphone, literally the microphone, you know what I mean? So it made me a better panelist, I think. And like I said, it made me listen more than I speak and speak when it's important. Cause you know, in panels, you know, it's easy to like, you know, someone's talking a lot and then you're like, Oh, I got to get in there. I'm just going to sit here the whole time and look like an idiot. I didn't say anything. So you're like kind of looking for that moment, but it really made you listen to like what other people were saying. And then, you know, when they would say what they said, and then you would chime in something that like was relevant to that, that took it to the next part of the conversation. It it was like practicing collaborating, right? Sure. Sure. Right. Because if we, if we all talked at once, we, nobody would get anything. Right. Exactly. And I actually wrote an article uh, for Cannabis Science and Technology, like in the beginning of like the craze, because I'm like, Meg, I love this clubhouse. You, like, I got to write something about it. So I like wrote that. And then I interviewed some of my like cohorts on clubhouse that I was doing a lot of the education with. So, um, you know, anyone listening, check that out in Cannabis Science and Technology. It would have been sometime in probably early 2021, um, you know, because like it is out there. So, I mean, there are certain things uh that are still happening on there, but we were really, you know, we were really doing targeted stuff about, you know, science and education, obviously and medicine. Um, so like I said, maybe one day when I don't have a conference in a month. Yeah. What is free time? I don't even know what you mean. <laughs> okay, Josh, you've told us about the left coast show coming up. We just talked about the beast coast show from the fall. Now let's rewind again and reflect on how far things have come since you had to start the Cannabis Science Conference as a West Coast show six years ago and then eventually yeah. expand back east in 2019. How has increased legalization in the U.S. changed the scope and nature of your conference? Do you think your conference has had an impact on on the, the legalization uh in the country and, and all of that. Yeah, that's a great question. And like you said, again, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but when I got into the space, uh, based on the East coast, there was no market to uh, provide something like this to. So I knew as soon as I figured out what I was going to do, that I was going to have to take it out West. And, you know, I, I went to California, Oregon, uh, Washington state, Colorado, and uh, although we loved California, but at the time, you know, California, doing an event in California, Cost a little bit more money than it did to do one in Portland, Oregon. So again, you know, we were self-funding everything and we, you know, it's really interesting because my journey into this, you know, when I, you know, and I'm, I'm going to be completely honest here. When I started the conference, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this conference. I don't know how many people are going to want to do it as far as like vendors, attendees. So when really our first plan was like, oh, you know, let's do like 15 booths, and like maybe 200 people, you know? So that was like plateaued within like a month of saying that's what we we're gonna do. So we got those 15 vendors, we had 200 people registered and then we're like, okay, what do we do now? The conference is like eight months away and we're full. Like that doesn't sound, that doesn't feel right. So then we got a bigger venue and then plateaued at that venue as well. And then it was still about four or five months from the event. So I was just like, it just doesn't feel right to say we're sold out for booths, for tickets that far in advance. So that was when it got a little tricky and we had an even larger venue, but we had to tweak the date a little bit. So we had to move the date, which was a whole like process. Cause you know, we don't want to upset anyone, but the way we pitched it to the vendors was 
you know, if the collective voice is like, we don't want to move the date, we want to keep it this, that like, we'll, res- we'll respect that. And we'll talk through that. But our thing was like, we have an opportunity with these extra five months to push this date like a week, but be able to have double the show. You know what I mean? So we, you know, they were all really on board for that. Cause obviously, you know, it's a first year show. A lot of these people were excited and in getting involved with cannabis because really when I entered and started doing this, my intention, and it still is my intention is to bridge the gaps between traditional science and medicine and cannabis. So, you know, bringing in traditional science, bringing in traditional medicine, and then bringing in cannabis and having them come together to work, to advance this message. So that was our first show. So we ended up with about 900 people and I think 75 booths. So quite a stretch from what we had originally planned with the 15 booths and uh, like 150, 200 people, but we were thrilled. You know what I mean? So we knew after that first show that we had something special. So we were like, you know what? We're not going to mess around with these hotels anymore. We're going right to the convention center. So we planned the next year at the Oregon Convention Center, which was kind of right you know, down the street from where we had done it at the Red Lion Hotel. Um, and the show doubled the first year. And then 2018, the show doubled again. So it's kind of like, we probably should have hired more people sooner, but it was like, the, it was like the show would just double and they were like, oh, okay, well we did that. So I guess we could do that again with what we have. And the show just kept growing. So in that time, you know, the I always, I call it the medical cannabis revolution started happening on the East Coast where you had state after state after state legalizing cannabis for medical use in, in uh, the East Coast. So being, you know, Baltimore born, raised, from Baltimore, I was like, it would be really cool to bring this like proven platform that like it has like track success to my hometown. So really that was like a full circle moment. So really like we were like, okay, we're going to take it East coast. And then for a minute, we're like, Oh, where in the East coast. But it was like five minutes later. I'm like, well, Baltimore, you know what I mean? Like I'm home field advantage here. You know what I mean? I I think Baltimore is a great choice anyway. It's central coast. It's pretty accessible. Like it's got a, uh, you know, a meaningfully sized airport and great train options for like New York, New Jersey, uh, Massachusetts, like right into downtown. It's even close enough to potentially pull in some, some NIH, NSF, uh, government interested folks, FDA folks. Yep. Yep. And then, um, so like I said, for me, it was like such a full circle moment to like bring the show back to like my community and like selfishly, the Baltimore convention center is about five minutes from my house. So like doing site visits and stuff, five minutes from my house in a car versus flying across <laughs> the country to just, you know, check out a convention center or a hotel definitely was, it was a nice change. Um, and you know, like I said, I think it might've been a combination of, like I said, home field advantage. I, you know, had a lot of connections and have been networking in Maryland, not necessarily because I needed to network in Maryland. Cause I was doing a show on the West coast and I would go to like networking events and stuff. So it wasn't like I was, Oh, I'm doing this business here. Come network with me. It was more of like, I just wanted to tune in with the community. And this is before I even decided to do the East Coast show. So then the fact that when I did, I was like, I guess that's a great thing that I decided to take the time and plug into the community as far as cannabis and networking and stuff. So it ended up being a great success. It was, you know, like I said, 2000 people. Um, I think it was just over a hundred vendors. So that was our first East Coast edition. So that was really special to me. And again, um, bringing it home to my local community just meant the world to me. And, you know, 
my my mom has always flown out for the shows on the West Coast, and she like gets the registration to make her badge say doesn't say her name. It says Josh's mom, so like everybody like knows like that's Josh's mom. <laughs> she thinks that gives her you know some type of celebrity clout or something, she, which is she lovely. is. Your mom is the best. Yeah. She's so cute. It really is more <laughs> more so than me even. Um, she's like she's the one. It's her show really. Um, but um, you know for the Baltimore show, like my brother got to come, my dad got to come. So like to get the chance to show like your actual friends and family like what you do because like everyone you know follows us on facebook or instagram and you know i'm sure you guys can relate when you have the friend that's like you know you're the one friend in the cannabis industry and they send you every article about cannabis mm-hmm. or everything yeah and you're oh like, yes <laughs> like have you seen this and you're like yes multiple 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 times um but like to have them come and actually experience what i do because people are like oh i see you in this article i see you in this news thing i see you in this podcast and you talk about it but to come and really see it um is a special thing you know and like not in like a boastful way but like i'm very proud of what we've done over the years you know what i mean you should, and, like, be. So yeah, like, should be you, you don't always sit back and like say oh we just did this like let's go pop a bottle of champagne or light up light one up you know whatever your choice is but like like i said like going through 2020 i had a lot of that like where i was like you know what Cause there was a point where you never know, you know what I mean? Like, is this going to last forever? Like not forever, but like, are people ever going to feel like they're going to go back to live events? And I think that the answer is yes. But like when you're in the middle of it and you're just like, what's happening with my career, what's happening with my business. Like it's literally just on pause. Like if you have a CD and the CD player and you just hit pause, like that's what it felt like. Um, so it really gave me the chance to say to myself, like, Hey, even if all this went away, and never happened again, you can look back and be proud and and happy with what we've accomplished. So that was a really, like I said, that was one of the things during the pandemic that I had not really taken as much time to appreciate what we've done and built because it's always on to the, to the next goal. But, um, but yeah, you know, it, I'm really, I'm really glad that in the time that we launched the show that there was such a movement on the East coast with, uh, with medical cannabis, because it was really cool for me to be able to bring it back. And like time-wise it ended up working out great. Cause it's like, we got to have a few years in the West coast to like really build up the credibility and reputation to where it's like, you're, you know, you're not just bringing, and like, that's what I've said to people before too. It's like, yes, I would have loved to have launched this in my hometown, but it was also like, almost a bigger experience and feeling to bring something that was proven back home. Yeah, that makes sense. So now that you're part of the MGH family, do you have any plans to expand the show any further? Yes, that's a great question. We definitely have some interesting things in the works for uh, 2022. So obviously, um, you know, anyone that's not already signed up for our, our uh, email newsletters, definitely you can do that on our website at CannabisScienceConference.com. We um, are always sending out emails and updates about what we have going on. I don't want to give away too much information, but we have some really exciting stuff coming for 2022 and some really exciting stuff for 2023. So definitely stay tuned. Give us a follow on all the social medias um, and we'll be getting some of that information out there sooner than later. And I, I'm guessing you don't have to run all the social medias yourself anymore. No. And that is such a blessing. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, it's, it's kind of funny. Like I jokingly say, you know, to that now Stephanie has been my friend all these years is now my boss. So like, she hates when I say my boss, 
But I'm like, you are my boss. <laughs> but I always jokingly say to her, I'm like, how am I working more now than before when I sold? But it's like, it's different stuff. You know what I mean? So like what I'm doing now is like the high level. It's more strategic, right? I should be focusing on. You know what I mean? Not that social media and all that stuff isn't high level because that's all important. It all plays into the picture. But, you know, when you think about, again, two people, it's not even just the events. It's like running the social media, doing the email blast campaigns, like, you know, doing all that stuff really in a lot of companies is, is a job itself. Of course. So, you know, when you're like, okay, got to get the social media posts out, got to do these email blasts. And then it's like, okay. And then with all the calls, you're like, when do I have time to do the actual work? So it's been really great working with like marketing and sales. And like, that's another thing. Like, you know, we've, we've, never had, you know, sales support, you know, I, myself and Andrea, we've done the best that we could, but we're, you know, we've never been super pushy. We've never, you know, been calling people up. So it's really been a blessing, you know, that our show has really been, you know, 75 to 80% organic, um, you know, the, the signups and that we get return vendors year after year after year and return attendees year after year. So, but having that extra support to be able to reach a broader audience, um, because, you know, each year this goes more and more mainstream and there's more and more companies that are like, hey, we're going to jump in. So having the support of, you know, sales team and marketing team to help reach those um, new folks that are ready to enter this industry has been paramount in our success so far. That's that's uh, it, it's great. Uh, and uh, it's really exciting to to see you taking the, the next step and uh, being able to focus more on that strategic element, uh, I'm sure will mean great things for for the conference and for whatever else uh, you and MJH uh, go into together uh, and i'm sure collaborating with with meg is uh very easy for me it is for sure uh, Thank you. <laughs> and uh i yeah having had a few jobs in my life i know for certain there are way worse bosses than stephanie out there so uh, oh, 100%. <laughs> i i'd well, be i'd be pretty happy to have stephanie as my boss I, oh I yeah and that's the thing that i you know keep touching on is like it you know i don't know if you guys have ever seen the show i think it's called like married at first sight where you like walk in and you get married and then you have to figure it out it's like i'm glad that it's not a situation like that i'm glad it's a situation of like friends and family that i've had the opportunity to know both professionally and personally, you know what I mean? Now I just say to Stephanie, I'm like, now we talk on the phone all the time and it's, but it's work. So, you know, we would call each other in the evenings and stuff. So, um, but it's, it's really great. And, you know, working with Meg with the magazine over the years has been, you know, fantastic. And Meg, I just have to commend you on how well you've done with the magazines and then the launch of the new magazine. Um, you know, it's not easy, you know, to, to do all that you do. And I totally respect it. And I'm honored to be a, a part of both oh, of them. Thank you so much. Awesome. So, Josh, anything else you want to add? Just that everybody should join us in Long Beach, May 18th through 20th for Cannabis Science Conference West. Check out CannabisScienceConference.com to learn more. And I'm sure we'll link it up in the show notes. Yep. Thanks for being with us today, Josh. We appreciate you taking some time to tell us about the upcoming conference and future plans to move the cannabis industry forward. Thank you for having me. It has been a pleasure joining you both today.